Robert Half research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. I didn't know that. I didn't either. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. Interesting. Mm. That's why you need Robert Half. Yep. I don't think that's a person. That's the company. Okay, I was confused. Yeah, their specialized recruiting professionals engage with their proprietary AI. Welcome to connect businesses (laughs) of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing, and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. See, at Robert Half, they know talent. I wish I had had Robert half back in the day oh, when I was hiring. Okay. So, no offense, Sona. Oh, it, it, I feel like you did mean to offend me. Yes, you wouldn't be here if I had had Robert Half. Okay. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. Hi, my name is Bob Newhart. And I feel uh, anxious about <laughs> being Conan O'Brien's friend. <laughs> Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walk in blues, climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are going to be friends. Yes, I can tell that we are going to be friends. Hello, Conan O'Brien here. Welcome to another episode of Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend podcast. I think pretty much based on a, just a scam, mm-hmm. don't you think? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just <laughs> convincing people to come in here and talk to me mm-hmm. and having the time of my life. And uh, they leave. I don't think anyone gets paid. No. Oh, okay. You do. Do I? <laughs> I don't yeah, know. in mattresses. <laughs> I get paid in mattresses and, and free... Uh, Free socks. What are they called? Bombas. Bombas. Oh, bombas. I love bombas. And you can always wave me off if you think this opener is just terrible. It's great. Really? Mm-hmm. Thanks, Gorley. <laughs> uh, joined here by my uh, trusty assistant, Sona Mosesian. How are you, Sona? I'm doing very well. Thank you. And of course, Matt Gorley's here. Hi. You're looking good again, Matt. Matt uh, is quite a sharp dresser. He is. Yeah, you're looking very sharp, He's Matt. He's wearing you, suspenders, which suspenders is weird. Suspenders today. You are. Su- he is such a. What do you call it? Uh, what's the nickname for it? Not a hipster. Uh, yeah, he's kind of a. Hip- okay, come on, girl. You have yeah. this coming. You wore suspenders today. And a wool cap. Yeah. He has a wool cap yeah. and suspenders, and he's got a little pipe. He's got one of those Meerschaum pipes tucked into his pocket. You're a ridiculous person. It's a tiny pipe. Okay, it is a tiny pipe. Oh, and he's probably got Eisenhower's telephone that he bought on eBay. Anyway, the fact that he's not defending himself uh, is just a sign that uh, that we are right. Yeah, I think so. And he's wrong. Let's get to the show, shall we? Okay. Uh, You should probably take a lozenge or something, Gorley. You're sounding a little hoarse. Okay. God, he's like a little wood creature. I know. I've okay. never heard him take it like this before. Well, I guess he knows when he's been bested. Yeah, clearly. Superior mind. Sona, yeah. I'm giddy today. I, I really am. I know. I am giddy today. I am as giddy as a schoolgirl. Is that something I can still say? I Yeah, but why don't you just say schoolboy? You no, know, schoolgirls get more like, or, or is that a gender thing? No, I've just, I don't know, but schoolboys are giddy too. They're like, hee I'm going to hang out, play video games. Okay, whatever. Let's not, I don't see gender. I really don't. What? Especially when I'm showering. Um, (laughs) Zing. There's nothing down there. Smooth. 
Uh, <laughs> zinged yourself. I just zinged myself. I am giddy, and I've got to up my game because today is a very, 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 very special guest. Someone I grew up. I listened to his records. Some of the funniest uh, comedy ever put uh, on on any audio form, and uh, and then of course his multiple TV shows and uh, his appearances in movies, and he's just such a perfect comedian and a great man. A legend. A legend. And he's here with us today, and I'm absolutely tickled pink. Bob Newhart. I can feel the palpable anxiety in the room as Bob Newhart contemplates being my friend. <laughs> I've made attempts over the years to really connect with you, Bob. You know that. You've been to my home. Oh, we're going to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've, been invite, you've been into my home, and I've been to your home against your will. That's right. You looked at my home. <laughs> I, I think you, you looked. I did. When I first yeah. was going to move out here, I was looking for a place to live, and oh. I saw this absolutely gorgeous uh, home. It was completely out of my price range. And also, we have the tour buses going through you have all, tour buses. all the time. Yeah, and you had a sign out front that said, no Irish. That's right. <laughs> I, have, I did have a sign outside that said, I'm dog, <laughs> which no one paid any attention to. Yeah. Uh-huh. They didn't care, huh? They just kept moving. <laughs> you know I'm a massive fan of your work yes. and also – a fan of uh, you as a as a human being, so it's a double treat. There's sometimes people that I I love their work, and I don't want to get to know them, or if I get a sense of who they are, like Rickles. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just the, guessing. Like, I, I know he's I know he's gone two years, but yeah, you know what what's nice is uh, you know he's up there in heaven, uh, and he's <laughs> listening to you take shots at him. And uh, he doesn't get to say anything now. Yeah, that's right. Like Rickles. Like he Rickles. gets to say, he gets to say, if you see this guy up here, don't let him in. Don't let him in. Yeah. Don't If you see Newhart coming, don't let, let him don't in. Don't let him in. Don't let him in. He's a hockey puck. <laughs> that's right. Of course, you and uh, and Don Rickles, great friends for how many, was it 50 years, 60 years? I mean, you were such good friends. Well, I, I'll tell you the story. I've told it before, the story of, uh, of how we met. I knew of Don, but I didn't. I didn't know Don, but my wife knew Don's wife, um, Barbara Sklar, mm-hmm. who became Barbara, Barbara Rickles, and we were in Vegas. I was at the Desert Inn. I was at the main room in the Desert Inn, and Don was in the lounge mm-hmm. at the Sahara, which is uh, which I love pointing out because there is a pecking order and. <laughs> and <laughs> You just like to point out that you're in the main room and, and he's in the, the he's lounge. He's at the, the kids' table. That's right. <laughs> he's at the kids' table at Thanksgiving. So anyway, we're in town together and Ginny said, oh, we have to get together with um, – I have to call Barbara and we'll have dinner, you know, because we're mm-hmm. – I said, great, yeah. So we set it up. Well, Don, Don was working again in the lounge and uh, they work like, you know, 10, the first show is 10 and the next show is one o'clock. And then, right, so, right. So we go to dinner and then, um, and Jenny's talking to Don, I'm talking to Barbara. And, and now it's time to go in to see Don's show. And uh, so Jenny and I, Don left like five minutes early, you know, to get dressed. And uh, so Jenny and I are walking into the, into the lounge. And she said, he is just, he's the sweetest man. I mean, he is, he's such a wonderful family man that, mm-hmm. you know, he, he he hates being on the road. He hates, he wants to be home. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I said, well, honey, now his, his act is going to be uh, slightly different than, than what you saw. <laughs> and he's not going to be the sweet guy that you saw at sweet, dinner. Lovely guy, family person, and um, she said, "Oh, don't ruin it." She's, you know, <laughs> you're trying to ruin it. Uh-huh. And I said, no. "I said, oh, okay, okay." So, so we sit down, and he comes out. Now, first thing he says is, "The stammering idiot from Chicago was in the audience with his hooker wife from Bayonne, New Jersey." <laughs> <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
<laughs> what a nice introduction to the new hearts. That's nice. <laughs> so she looks at me and I and I said, I, I tried to tell you. I tried to tell you. Yeah. yeah. It's funny because you two and everyone pointed this out, but you couldn't, your comedic styles could not be more different. You couldn't be more different. You are cerebral. I think you've weighed every word carefully. And he was a, a sprinkler, a sprinkler system <laughs> turned on high that was firing randomly and chaotically. I, I could never say, as he said every night, I could never say to someone I had never met, is that the wife? Oh, geez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, he could, he could, he did my show uh, several times over the years and even uh, at at that stage, I mean, I was, this is in the 1990s and he had, you know, seemingly been around forever and he'd come out and he would completely turn the thing upside down and he'd be going after the band and he'd be, you know, saying some things you didn't think people could say anymore, but he had this, <laughs> he had this inner sweetness. And I think he also got a pass from people because he invented yeah, this yeah. and they they knew that it came from a good place. You know, he yeah. was. Oh, if he thought he offended somebody, he, he would, he, it would, it would ruin the, the day for him. But, yeah. You know, he knew it was all in fun and, you know, I'm only kidding and don't take me seriously. Yeah. He'd probably lose sleep over it. So I could see how you would both click as real human beings. <laughs> on, that, but on that level. Yeah. On that level. Um, when I was coming along, uh, my father is a, is a huge uh, fan of comedy and he introduced me when I was just a boy to Jack Benny's radio show. Mm. And he made sure that I listened to that, even though this is the 1970s, Jack Benny was was pretty much, was gone at this point, I believe. Yeah. And he introduced me to Jack Benny and he really wanted me to understand why, how Jack Benny was so funny. And what was interesting is I had a familiarity with Jack Benny and then I started watching your show the Bob Newhart show, and you re I, you realize I stole from him. <laughs> <laughs> That's the point of the conversation. This the police. Is the, this is the extra door. No, right? no. The police are here. The oh, police okay. are here. All right. Um, you did not steal from him, but we're going to have you sign some documents afterwards. It's a legal <laughs> matter. Uh, no, but I saw that you were like a musician. You were working in a similar style, which was this fearlessness with the pause you would take these pauses and so much of comedy is people trying to jam in as many notes as they can. And you would take these long pauses. And I could see the way that Jack Benny influenced so many people. Johnny Carson, for example. No question about Would that. get, and I, and I <laughs> will admit that I have been uh, drinking from that well for a long time, realizing you can get the biggest laugh in the room if you don't say anything uh, sometimes. Drinking from the well, meaning? Me, drinking from the well, uh, meaning drawing from that tradition oh, of- oh, oh, okay. I didn't okay. really actually mean drinking well water, oh, yes. which I, might be tainted. Because uh, I couldn't figure out what that had to do with Jack Benny. Yeah, <laughs> well, we all know that Jack Benny uh, was an avid drinker of well water. Of water, yeah. Yeah, this is derailed completely, and I want to apologize to everyone who's listening, and I think it's Bob Newhart's fault, because I think you all understood what I was saying, and I see what I'll he tell did. You a story. I'll tell you a story about mm -hmm. Jack Benny, how brave he was. He was yeah. the bravest comedian I have ever you know, it's, people have said my timing is similar to his, but I don't think you can teach timing. I think you either hear it or you, or you don't hear it. Right. But he was the bravest comedian. Um, and Dick Martin told me a, a story that he was there. Dick Martin or Ronan Martin. Of mm -hmm. and <clears throat> fame, yeah. And he said that Jack was, I think, at the Sahara in, in, uh, in Las Vegas, and uh, they had the Will Maston Trio featuring Sammy Davis Jr., is his opening act. Mm -hmm. And, of course, it comes out, Sammy d destroys the audience. They're, they're pounding and standing on the tables. And they leave, and then Jack comes out. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, he said, you know, uh, in the afternoon, sometimes around 04, 430, uh, I like to get some tea, and some sometimes four... 45, rarely five, <laughs> I, I'll have this tea. And I ran into this, this actor 
I had worked with, and his name was, and I'm trying to think. Oh, he said, I don't know what's wrong with me today. He said, I, I promised that Sammy Davis could do another number. Would you like Sammy and, and Will Mastin Trio? Screaming. You know, Screaming. Like, People go crazy. Yeah. He comes out, birth of the blues, destroys the room. Right. People are pounding on the tables. And Jack watch, watches him walk off, and he says, Clive. Clive. <laughs> <laughs> no, no sane person in the world does that. Have, you don't bury yourself. You know, it's amazing. Uh, it, it's interesting to me. And, and all kinds of people listen to this podcast. There's a lot of young people listening who may not be as familiar with Jack Benny. And I encourage you and plead with you to go out and, and listen to some of those tapes because he was the greatest – one of the foremost comedians of the 30s, 40s, into the 50s. I mean, just a just a massive star. And he would take his time and he would take those long pauses. And you think about him going out there and the electricity after following, the energy in the room after Sammy Davis Jr. has absolutely destroyed and melted the club and people are going wild to go out and let all that energy subside <laughs> and get quite, you know, most people will, their instinct would be, I've got to ride this energy, take this energy and keep it going. And he's cutting so far against the grain. Yeah. Very few people could get away with it, but he had the timing and he also, I think, had the status too. He's or Jack would, Bennett. Or would dare doing it, you know, putting yourself in that position. Of, yeah. But knowing it would work, he knew it would, it would pay off. I remember there was another story, Freddie de Cordova, who pro produced the long term, a long, long time producer of the yeah. uh, Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Yeah. He he told me a story that, um, that Jack was doing the radio show, and, and Ronald Coleman, the the actor, mm -hmm. the British actor, was on the show, and they're sitting around. It's a table read, and they're just reading the script, and Jack does a line. He said, oh, uh, oh, give that to Dennis, Dennis Day. He said, that's a better line if Dennis says it. Right. And, and then they read some more. And then he said, oh, give that to Phil, Phil Harris. Mm -hmm. So it, it, they, they're through with the table reading. Ronald Coleman said to him, he said, that was amazing. He said, you gave away some of the best material. To other people. To other people. And, and Jack said, but I'll be back next week. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I that's mean, all that mattered. To you know, I heard that story and that idea years ago, and I would always attribute it to Jack Benny. So I'm glad I think I'm, you're telling me, I, I think I had the right person, but I always had the same feeling, which is I have a sidekick in Andy Richter, who's one of the funniest people I've ever oh, yeah, met. Yeah. And I've always wanted to have hilarious people on the show and, and give them space to breathe. And I always had the same idea, which is it's the Conan show. If the Conan show is funny, I'll get my check at the end, end of the week. Sometimes I didn't, but <laughs> but if the Conan show is funny, I'll get my check. And I'm not I'm I'm going to try not to think about who's getting who's getting the laughs as long as they know I watched that show and I had a good time and I think that's uh, that's something that has served me well I think over time. Well, it was you know, Johnny Carson, you'd he'd have um Robin Williams on. Yeah. And the next morning people were saying, did you see Johnny Carson last night? You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. And and did you see how hard Johnny was laughing? That was the other thing you paid attention yeah. to. Yeah. I know that, we'll, and we'll get back to this idea of rhythm, but since we're talking about Johnny Carson, I know that you were a pretty regular guest host for Johnny. You yeah, would, I you did would, 79, I think. 79. Uh, tonight, in. you'd fill in. And I was wondering, you know, and it's hard for people to understand today in an era when there's 600 late night talk shows and people maybe see them on the computer the next day. They see bits and pieces that there was a time when there was one show, all of America watched that show. Johnny Carson was arguably the most powerful person in show business. When you subbed for him and sat in and took over the helm of that show, was it nerve-wracking to think, this is Johnny's show, this is the prize flagship, they've given me the the wheel, the tiller to handle this thing, and... Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it was... Um, I didn't want the job. I mean, there there was a point 
at which NBC was, this was like in the 70s, mm-hmm. 70s when they were thinking of, uh, Johnny was uh, won an, a raise, mm-hmm. and, and they said, that's it, no more. He's not going to hold us up anymore. These are the 70s, and I think Johnny left sometime in the late 1990s. I think he left in 92. 92. 92. Yeah. So they were trying these other hosts. And, and I, I did the show for three weeks in New York, and I didn't want the job. I mean, I didn't, if they had offered it to me, I would because I knew what a killer job it is. I mean, Every day. Every yeah. day. And, uh, and Johnny himself said, it's his mistress. And if he had devoted the time to his marriage that he devoted to the show, he'd still be married to his first wife. He, right. It just is that demanding. So I, I didn't get that nervous because I didn't care if I lost the job. You know? Right, right. But he would let you know, uh, if he would sometimes be watching. That's the other thing, too, is that he would not be doing the show, but he was always very concerned with how the substitute hosts were doing. So he'd be aware of how you had done or what you had done with his show while he was away. Well, what he would do, I was, uh, again, with Freddie de Cordova. Right, the um, producer, yeah. I was filling in for, for Johnny, guest hosting. And Freddie Fred and I are sitting and talking during the day for the show. And the phone rings, and it's Johnny. And Freddie is talking to him, and he's saying, yeah, remember this sketch? Yeah, we did it about four, four or five years ago. And yeah, we could update it. And uh, that's this is Johnny. He's on vacation, supposedly, calling Freddie about a sketch that they're going to do when I'm no longer guest hosting, and he's back doing that. Yeah, he's like a a mom that's away from her child, but is calling in and saying, okay, okay, I know I'm supposed to be on vacation, but this is the kind of cereal he likes, and make sure he gets this cream for that rash. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's it's a devotion that I think is required. I was going to ask you about, I remember very clearly in uh, 2006, and I'm jumping around a bit here, but um, I've been drinking a lot. <laughs> in 2006, I had a, a second crack at hosting the Emmys, and I we thought of this bit to try and keep the show to time, where we would keep a celebrity in a box with a limited amount of air, and the concept was we need to keep the Emmys to time, so if the show runs long, this celebrity will die in the box and it will be your fault, America. And we had, so we thought that was a very funny idea. And then we had two requirements. It had to be someone who was beloved, an icon. Okay, those are hard to find. And it had to be someone who is going to be in a soundproof booth and never speaks and is hilarious using just their face with a look of peril and concern. And there was only one answer, and it was you. Oh, and we thought, I, heard, I heard George Clooney was. <laughs> and I heard George turned it down, yeah, and George, then you went to me. Yeah, we, Clooney's always first. Uh, um, no, and so we knew it was you, and we knew it's going to be fantastic, but it had to be you. It had to be you. But then the problem became, what if we get a quick no? What if we just hear, well, you know, Bob doesn't really want to do it. And we were petrified. And I remembered getting in touch with you and you said, well, let's, when you're out in LA, let's get together and talk about it. And I was so, I don't don't know if you remember this, but we went to lunch and I was nervous because I, I, I'm nervous to be around you anyway. And I had to sell you on, on this idea. And I thought it was going to take the whole meal to sell you on this idea. And you immediately said, yeah, it's a funny idea. I'll do it. Anyway, let's gossip. <laughs> and uh, then you proceeded to tell all these amazing stories. I had the time of my life. And then you did the bit. And it's one of my favorite things I've ever been involved in because- we wheel you out and you're sitting there and the conceit, I think, which is you weren't quite aware why you were in this box. And then I start to say there's a limited amount of air and <laughs> there's just this growing concern. <laughs> panic, panic. Panic, but but contained. You never get out of the chair. You never bang on the glass. And you can see that you're thinking to yourself, I... Uh, this may have been an error. <laughs> but it's so you, which is to play things 
<laughs> so you play these notes so quietly and with such a brilliant ear, it sets you apart from everybody else. And I don't know if that was, I know you started famously, you, you did stand up and then you made these, these records, these albums that were smash hits, button down mine, just massive hits. You would beat out, I think Elvis Presley for a Grammy, Frank yeah. Sinatra. For uh, album of the year. You beat Frank Sinatra yeah. for yeah, album got, of the year. I recorded it in 1960. Yeah. And the record came out in 1960. So in 61, at the Grammy Awards of 61, it won um, a Best New Artist. It won Spoken Word. They didn't have a category for comedy. They right. Just spoken Word, which could be Alec Guinness or sure. whatever, you know. An album of of the year, um, which as as you mentioned, beat out the soundtrack of um, Sound of Music. Sound of Music, and and as you mentioned, Belafonte and and Elvis and um, and Frank. And Frank put a hit out on you after That's that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing but, he, the bullet just hit you in the shoulder. But yeah. they were. <laughs> They were lousy shots. So <laughs> that's why I'm here today. You're here today. Uh, <laughs> and I had people starting the car for me. <laughs> You'd say to Rickles, hey, go start the car, warm yeah. it up a little bit. Do me a favor, Don. You know, what's interesting is I was thinking about it, the, the, the albums, there's so much comedy that is of the moment and then it's it's like milk it it doesn't hold it it goes it goes sour quickly and people can't understand the context i think your comedy is timeless it was you doing these <clears throat> wonderful bits and the timing is so terrific that there's this young generation now that's listening to podcasts and comedy podcasts and they're huge comedy fans and i think your comedy is as relevant today in 2019 as it was in 1960. It has stood the test of time. I hope so. I hope you're right. Oh, I'm, I'm right about everything. <laughs> That's right. I forgot. There's a, there's a sign on the door yes. as you come in. Yeah, Conan's Conan right. is right about everything. Yes. And so you can rest assured. So I'm sorry for violating that. No, 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 no. It's, um, I'm sorry I snapped at you. I have a quick temper, as you can oh. see. Yeah. I apologize. Um, so no, please stop laughing. This is a serious conversation between two <laughs> iconic comics. I know. Could she get out of the room, please? <laughs> you know, I've been trying to, Bob, I've been trying to get her out of the room for a long time. This is, this is awful. No, please, please. Sona, please. You're lucky to just be here and bathe in uh, one and a half, so one and a half geniuses. I was going to say, <laughs> Bob Newhart's glow. Okay, yeah. okay. That's, she turns on me so quickly. Yeah. You were probably about to ask me about Tim Conway. Well, uh, you know what? We, we, you mentioned it briefly when you came in. Tim Conway, I'm not sure exactly when this will air, but Tim Conway just passed, and you were at his funeral. Funeral mass. Yes. Funeral mass. And um, <clears throat> again, someone who, like you, delighted me, delighted me mm -hmm. to no end as, uh, as I was coming up in the world and watching television and paying attention to funny people and who made me laugh. And I know that you and Tim were very good friends. So, good friends, yes. um, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for your loss because he was a brilliant, it was lovely not, guy. It was not unexpected. Yeah. Um, he had dementia toward the end, mm -hmm. but he he will uh, he will live on because his legacy is in those those sketches he and Harvey did. And uh, we used to get together. There was a group of us, um, as I mentioned, Dick Martin, Dick, Dick, right? Dick Martin and uh, Dolly Martin, his wife, mm -hmm. Mike Connors, and Mary Lou. Mm -hmm. Mike Connors, Mannix, Mike Connors? Mannix, yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. I love that show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Played a, one of the coolest detectives. Uh, I think he drove a Mustang on his show anyway. You're probably right. Dude. I'm babbling now. But anyway, uh, one, of the, one of the coolest uh, show, TV shows of the late 60s, yeah. Is that the name of the show, by the Mannix. way? Mannix. Ba babbling? Babbling. That's the name of my babbling. show. Okay. Yeah, Conan <laughs> babbles occasionally. Sona cuts in and puts him down, and then Bob Newhart takes over, and everything's well. You you do it very well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've heard of like babbling brooks. <laughs> I've never heard of babbling hosts. No, I'm well. 
<laughs> yeah, not familiar with my work, apparently. <laughs> anyway, t- Tim would tell us these stories. It, w- it was also uh, Steve Lawrence, Edie Gourmet would join us, Don and Barbara uh, mm-hmm. joined us. And, and t- Tim would tell these stories about, about his upbringing. Mm-hmm. He told a story about uh, his father thought he was handy. He grew up, uh, they lived in Chagrin Falls, Ohio, mm-hmm. which, which is interesting because what are Chagrin Falls? You know? I know. <laughs> but that, that was the name, Chagrin. Like they, they wished they hadn't falls, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, kind so, of chagrin. Oh well, you gotta. <laughs> if you gotta have a set of falls, just uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> this will do, I suppose. So anyway, so Tim's father thought he was handy around around the house, so he put in a uh, a new doorbell, which he wired improperly so that it rang all the time. <laughs> Except when someone rang the doorbell. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was this silence. And when that would happen, Tim's father would say, I'll get it. <laughs> uh, I mean, his, fa- his father also, they were driving from Chagrin Falls to um, in Manhattan, mm-hmm. where Tim's uh, sister lived. And they drove to Manhattan, and I guess it's 800 miles, something like that. They drove, and um, they, they kept circling the block and couldn't find a parking space. And, and your father drove back to Chagrin Falls. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't. I guess that's all you can do at that's that point. <laughs> <laughs> so... So, I mean, growing up in, in that household, Tim had to be a comedian. He, yes. had, he had no choice at He had all. no choice. You did have a choice. Uh, you had a trade. You had a profession. You were an accountant. You were a damn good accountant, by all accounts. And No, 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 no. I was not a good accountant. Okay, I just said that. I had no idea. You know. I was trying to build you up. I'm trying to be your trying to be your hype man for accounting. If, if I had been with Enron, oh, you can laugh into the mic. I'm sorry. A hype man for accounting. Yes. Okay. I just I'm wanted a... to make sure I heard that properly. Yes, I'm your hype man for accounting. But you were you were not the the greatest accountant ever. If I had been an accountant with Enron, they would still be in business. <laughs> <laughs> The IRS couldn't. I, I I can't figure these books out. I don't uh-huh. know. So they never would have caught him. So you were an accountant, and then it's so funny because knowing you, I think how did this, how did this man, who seems so cautious and so soft spoken, decide I'm going to become a stand up comedian at a time when I think show business is more perilous back then. Like if it didn't work out. Some guys would take you in an alley and beat you up or something. You know, it just it just felt like a tougher time. That was a very brave thing to do. I, I just I I uh, I was an accountant mm-hmm. and I was in charge of petty cash. It's mm-hmm. a true story. And the, the salesmen would come in from out of town and they'd give me a receipt for the motel room uh, or for gas or whatever, and I would give them cash out of petty cash. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day. I would have to balance what was left of the petty cash mm-hmm. and the receipts I had, and it never it never balanced. Mm-hmm. And so at five o'clock, everyone left, and I was still there, sometimes till eight o'clock, trying to find a dollar seventy-five. Mm-hmm. And so I did that for about a month, and then I said. The hell with it, and it was it was under again about a dollar fifty. So I took a dollar fifty out of my pocket and I put it in petty cash, mm-hmm. which made sense. But then the next day it was two dollars over, so I took the two dollars out. Mm-hmm. Well, the head of the accounting department, Mister Hutchinson, said my my legal name is George George mm-hmm. Robert. He said, uh, George, so those are not 
sound accounting principles. (laughs) (laughs) Polite way to put it. And I said, well, "Well, it it makes sense to me. And because they were paying me, I don't know, Eight dollars an hour to find a dollar fifty, and sometimes it took me four or five hours. So <laughs> I was <laughs> I was saving them money. <laughs> so I said, "Well, I'm not cut out. I'm not cut out for accounting." That's when you decided. And then it was the road never taken. You know? Yeah, it just uh, I had to find out. You know, I was thinking about you get this start, and then you have these records that are a huge, phenomenal success. And then I really get to know you with your TV show, your first TV show in the 1970s, Bob Newhart Show. And I, one of the things I noticed was that you could take these pauses on the records and you can take a pause now and you can hold for a, a take. You can do that uh, on a podcast when you're just listening or on the records. But when you did it on television, you also had a great deadpan which people wouldn't have known if they just knew you from the records, you know? And it was really, they would cut to you on the show and, you know, one of the characters would have said something absolutely ridiculous. Your neighbor, Howard Borden, would have said something, you know, Tim Daly would have said something absolutely ridiculous. And they would just, or someone would ask you an incredible, crazy question and they would cut to you and you're processing and you have those sad eyes and you're just, the camera would hold on you and it was one of the funniest things I'd ever seen. I never knew I had sad eyes. <laughs> Very sad. That's the first time. I'm, Very, I'm, I'm going to be 90 years old in September. You're going to be 90 in September? And no one has ever has ever said my eyes were sad. Well, they can evoke sadness. They're very powerful eyes. They can also evoke joy. This really do, I, do I have sad eyes? I think they're kind eyes. Thank you. Yeah, I think you have really nice eyes. Thank you. I wouldn't much. use the Thank word you. sad. Um, this isn't going well. <laughs> I've been alienated by everyone here. I think what I was trying to say let me, is right, let me in a Buster a... Keaton way. Oh, okay. The uh, kind of okay. forlorn. You're uh, trying to get back. Okay. All right. God. I'm being eviscerated. We've done how many of these? We've done like 30 of these with everybody. And then and then Bob Newhart comes in and, and the gentlest, kindest uh, comic of all time. And uh, he's tearing my face off <laughs> with words. I'm just a skull. I'm a bleeding skull right now. I hope you're happy. I'll give you an example. Okay. We did a show and the writing was, was marvelous. Mm-hmm. And so this is the Bob Newhart show. So I come in, the, Carol, the, the receptionist, she mm-hmm. said, uh, a man is in is in your office. So I come in and there's a ventriloquist. Oh, I, oh my God. You this know, is such you a, know yes, I love this episode. <laughs> yes. And he's sitting there with Danny, his his dummy. Yeah. Right? And, uh, and I'd sit down he, and I said, what can I do for you? And he says, uh, Danny wants... To go out on his own. <laughs> the dummy. <laughs> the dummy wants to go. <laughs> and it was so much fun to watch you. You know, whoever had the idea to say Bob Newhart is a psychiatrist, you know, and his job is to sit there and listen to insane people because it's all about the reaction. So, if anyone wants to look that scene up, uh, it, it is it is absolutely wonderful because you're sitting there, and at one point, even you get lulled into talking to the dummy, That's right. which is, is absolutely— Well, then the dummy wants to be alone with me yes. in the office. Yes, yes. <laughs> Can I speak to you alone? Privately. Privately. And he's, like, gesturing up at the guy operating him, like, I got to lose this guy. Yeah, there are so many um, beautiful. I told you, I think I told you once one of my favorite episodes was the time. <laughs> you were you were locked. We better get someone for her. Uh, yeah, no, no, she needs oxygen. An ambulance, I yeah. know. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want this on my hands. You know. there, no, 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 it's... You'll be implicated. You'll, you were in the room, and you'll be implicated okay. when she asphyxiates. No, it's it's so nice because you've said that you think 
comedy is often best when it's approached from almost a childlike mindset. There's a simplicity to it. And this is something I think that you and I completely agree on, which is the danger of cynicism, the danger of cynicism getting into comedy. And that's something that I know that you feel strongly about and I feel strongly about. Yeah, I, there's a story. I, I, it was in my book, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Art Linkler told a story, and he had, he had this program of Kids Save the Darndest Thing. Which was a massive hit show from yeah. the, yeah. I think, 50s, and 50s, 60s, yeah. I think. Yeah. So he's doing the show, and there's this one kid in the front, and I think he's not smiling or participating at all. So they go to commercials, so Art comes over to him, and he said, you don't seem to be enjoying the show. And he said, well, my my dog died, and I love my dog, and I miss him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and Art said, well, um, he said, you know, your dog died, and and you're a young a young person, and you'll live for a long time, but one day you'll die, and you'll go to heaven, and there will be your dog, mm-hmm. and you'll be reunited with your dog. And the kid said, what does God want with a dead dog? <laughs> <laughs> Really good question, actually. (laughs) That that, see, the the commission still has that childlike quality of asking, "What does God want with a dead dog?" Right, right, right. And it, and you know, obviously, there's all kinds of different movements in comedy, and there. People that think it should be very harsh, or it should it should evis- say say something. It should say something. Yes. I've been preaching. No, for- I was saying to you, say something. <laughs> <laughs> I just I I would like my lawyer here. I'm getting out of show business. <laughs> Destroyed. I'm getting destroyed, and Sona's loving it. I love all of this. <laughs> Sona's no fan of mine, uh, and she loves to see me get destroyed. <laughs> but no, to that point, that people that want comedy to say something, and I've, I've said for years, if you've learned anything from my comedy, then I failed you. <laughs> I, and I, I believe that. I just want to. I, I want to make people laugh in very silly ways, and I do think. That's one of the things, too, that has held up so well as your body of work is just you enjoying yourself and being funny in, I think, this very primal, simple way. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that, that's it. You know, that's, um, that's our job. I mean, that's to take the absurdity of, of life and, and maybe, maybe there's some pain and just help people get past that pain. Yeah. You know, if you do that, you're, uh, I think it's a very important role that laughter plays in, in, in life. It's very, it's, I think it's essential. I know that you've made, you made an attempt. You told me this once. You made an attempt to, you thought, okay, I've done it all. I've had the, you've conquered so many different aspects of the medium. And then you, you got to the point where you thought, you know, maybe I'll, Maybe I'll stop doing the the live touring. I won't do that anymore. And you decided I'll just I'll just enjoy my time around the house. I'll stay with Ginny, and we'll just we'll just enjoy this time. How'd that go? Uh, not not well. Not well. <laughs> uh, people will say, you know, I'm going to be ninety. Why why do you still still do stand up? And the alternative is. To me, it's Sunset Boulevard. You know, it's it's sitting in a darkened room and and having Eric von Stroheim come in and say, "What would you like to watch? An episode of Newhart or or the Bottom?" <laughs> <laughs> and you're sitting there with all these other these old characters, and you're all That's right. you're, the house is very creepy, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. No, and it's the other thing is if you, as hard as it is to believe, I've been doing my thing for a long time to some people, to younger people. I am now this guy they grew up watching uh, or or 
being forced to watch or trying not to watch. <laughs> and I have, they'll say to me sometimes, well, when are you gonna sort of wrap it up? And I'll think, well, I'm, I love it. I love doing it and I love making stuff. And by the way, you know, what's your problem? <laughs> Punk. Well, you like, yeah, it, it's like, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just tired of, of ma making people laugh. I, yeah. I, I don't want to do it anymore. Right, know? right. Why would, why would someone why say would that? Why would you say that? Yeah. How did... Uh, I hate the sound, the, the laughter, the sound of it. I just, it's like fingers on a blackboard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Was it your wife who noticed that this wasn't working for you? You were sitting around the house and... Well, I hadn't stopped totally. I, just, I, I reduced a lot of the appearances I was mm -hmm. making. And Jenny said, you're going nuts, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she I, said, well, I guess you better go back. You better get going. Yeah. Yeah. Do more dates. I sometimes threaten my wife with stopping. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, all right, all right, here, here's Jenny. This is uh, we we were married fifty six years. Oh wow! And um, this past January, and uh, here, as you know, you have to take out the, you have to separate the recyclables from yeah. the non recyclables. So yes. Jenny will say to me on a Monday night or Tuesday, whenever they pick up, she said, "You know, Bob, you want to take out the recyclables." And I was kind of feeling full of myself. So I said, uh, and this is when they were getting along. Mm -hmm. uh, I said, do you think that uh, Angelina Jolie says to Brad Pitt, you forgot to take out the recyclables? Mm -hmm. And Jenny said, if you were Brad Pitt, I wouldn't ask you to take out the It's good. You've been that's, humbled. That's the kind of relationship we have. Yeah. I, uh, you came to my house. The first time you came to my house, I had a bunch of people over. And it was sweet because no one knew that you were going to be there. And everybody lost their mind. And a line formed. And people were lining up, you know. Uh, and these are the Big names of well, today yes, were lined up to come and 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 get a chance to talk to Bob Newhart, and it was just lovely to see. And no one had any interest in talking to me. <laughs> they were, they, but but you're used to that. I mean, oh for God's sake! <laughs> Why? Why am I too much? Right? It, no, too no, 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 no. Too no. early. I think. No, I think no. Sona, Sona might say That's not enough. Not enough. Yeah, I think pile it on. You know, Bob, I'm seeing a new act here where I go out on stage with you and you just abuse me for 40 minutes. But it's like low hanging fruit. You know, you just. <laughs> it's just too easy. You can't resist. <laughs> Okay. All right. Now, Sona. Now, Sona, you remember who your real loyalty is to. Bob Newhart okay. now. Okay. All right. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, what does it mean that you have Chicago values? You said that about yourself and about your wife. You said, we have Chicago values. And I didn't know, did that mean you like deep dish pizza? What does it mean? <laughs> well, you don't start putting on airs. Right. You know, uh, hey, hey, I knew you, okay? Uh, right. Yeah, we used to play baseball together, so don't uh, don't be like a big star, you know. Okay? Right. So, do you find in your life that or, you, or I'll shoot you? <laughs> do you find in your life that you've had to compensate because you've had so much success? Do you feel that you need to compensate and tell people I don't I don't think I'm a big deal? I know I've had a tremendous amount of success, or you just you don't worry about it. I get nervous. Yeah, you get self conscious. Yeah. Yeah. about the fact that you've had this success. And so maybe the more I compliment but you right God now. God forbid it ever stops. Right. Know? Oh, no, no. Trust me. It yeah. never will. But what I'm getting the sense is that the more I compliment you, the more uncomfortable you'll be. That's right. I think you're a genius. I really do. I think you're an incredible genius. I think you redefine the medium. Okay. All right. All right. Stop. I think you, uh, there's no one like you. Stop. You've got the body of an Adonis. Well, that's true. 
<laughs> you know, I'm sure at some point I'm going to just leave little pauses here and you can always jump in and say something about me or my work or how much I've meant to you. And I'll just, I'll just leave pauses there and you jump in at any time that you like and, you know, you say whatever you want. I did, you had me on your podcast and it was one of my favorite things. I wish there had been a camera rolling because you were talking to me and we were chatting. And at one point you didn't realize how cold it would be in the room. And I think I was wearing a jacket and you were cold. And so during the podcast, you commented on how cold it was and someone who was there working with you, there was nothing. So they just took the big, uh, whatever it's the Afghan or the cover off the bed, this big blanket, and you wrapped it around yourself. And all I could see, it, it isolated your face in this way that was hilarious. And you were wrapped up in this blanket but there's no record of it, it's just audio. You were wrapped up and I thought, it, I just thought I was talking to this Eskimo woman. <laughs> just <laughs> completely wrapped up, I couldn't, and it was one of the funniest things in the world, but we never talked about it. And you, we never you, commented on it. There was a thing you started about the uh, donation to- Oh yes. Yes. Yes, yes, I think I started, uh, kidding and I hope people understood it was a joke but they may not because we were both being very dry about it but we were talking about doing charity events and I talked about how of course it's important to me to get paid and how um, I only work with charities that pay the most money and um, how later people have come to me and said you know this is really hurting the charity and I've said well that's that's your problem and you were you were like really this you were so straight about it. And because I was following you and listening to your rhythm, I was being very straight about, well, look, you know, I've been contacted by hospitals and they said the research has really stopped. And I said, look, that's, uh, I, why, I don't understand why you're crying to me. Uh, I'm professional and I need to get paid. And if this means that- And you didn't really care about what whatever- Oh God, no, no, no. I needed to get paid. And uh, this is a business and- um, and what did you expect? I and think it was children's hospital. It was children's. And I said, oh, and I, no, and what I did is I started and then I said, I said, you know, what you can really do is the real money's in the children's uh, diseases. And we were playing it so straight. And I was convinced that anybody listening to this That's is right. going to think he's an absolute monster. <laughs> and at no point did you say, okay, well, this was a fun bit. You never did that. And it's, so it's out there somewhere, and now we've repeated it, <laughs> that the real money is doing stuff for kids. Because <laughs> they have a hard time tracking you down. I'm a terrible person. And they're too sick. I hope you've enjoyed my genteel interview with Bob Newhart. <laughs> clearly the uh, the meanest, uh, cruelest person in show business. Uh, how, what do you think, Sona? How much did you enjoy this one? I loved it so much. Oh, start to finish. She is crying. She is crying. I've, I've made her cry, but for different reasons. Let's please do this again. I, you know what? And I'll come to you. I'll do I'm whatever. never doing this again. <laughs> Are you crazy? Come on. Well, the money's, we'll get you some money next time. I'll, I'll get you, I'll, we'll find, we'll make it worth your while. You know, we'll get you some nice. Mr. Bob Newhart, this this is one of the best times I've had in memory. This was just, I've, this is the hardest I've laughed. This was fantastic. And uh, thank you so, so much for being here. Well, I, I think I'm just continuing Don Rickles' legacy. I, <laughs> I think you out-Rickled Rickles I today. I spent too much time with him, yes. Uh, wow. Uh, and you know what the beauty is? I didn't see it coming. So with Don, I would have been covered up a little bit. Here I came in, arms open, and you put a knife right between the fifth and sixth rib. And that was within the first five minutes. Bob Newhart, thank you so much. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Sona, are you ready for some voicemails? I am. I love voicemails. Conan, you ready for some voicemails? I have some trepidation. 
I always think it's possible that my feelings will get hurt. I took that note last time, so these are purely positive. Well, no, I don't want you to do that. I okay, then I, play I, number. Uh, no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. If uh, all comic artists are extremely, I think most of us are really sensitive, and whenever someone says we're opening up the lines, and we've you know we've got some really fascinating, you always think someone's going to say I've always hated you. Yeah, oh, come and on. And then I'll say, Dad. <laughs> You didn't see that coming. All right, let's start with number 14. Hey, Conan, it's Seamus. You and I had the same teacher for English our senior years of high school, though it was several years apart. At the end of my senior year in English class, this teacher gave me the Conan O'Brien Award. Now, my question is, what exactly does this mean? Did it mean that she thought you were a big success and she incorrectly assumed that I would also find some kind of success in my life, which certainly hasn't happened, or does it mean that your senior year English teacher actually thought you were a big failure and she accurately foresaw my future life of failure? Uh, your thoughts on that, please. Thank you very much. Wow. This is the most loaded question. Yeah. Well, first of all, I I had a passionate affair with my teacher. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. And so oh, no. I think, oh. yes, Ew. this is, I mean, no, what's wrong with that? It was I'm high sorry. school. Did, oh. Didn't he say senior in high school? <laughs> Yeah. 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 I think that is uh, fine. I was, uh, I consider myself an adult okay. at 18, and I was uh, quite skilled. <laughs> oh, God. What's this? Stop. No, I'm just this saying. Is gross. Hello? I'm sorry. It's gross. It is. I'm, it, I know you don't want me to say that, but it's gross. It's gross. It's, why? Because I'm too gross. young at that age? I don't like thinking of you that way at all, ever. Listen, it's, most people it listen. Makes me I, I understand that. Thanks a lot. I'm sorry. But most most people listen to the podcast because they think of me as a highly sexualized being. Okay. Oh. Well, this is... You guys talk about Eisenhower's phone. Yeah. Well, now that okay. was pretty steamy. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen the phone? Oh, my God. It's taupe. Uh-huh. Yeah, I did see it. Sona, yes, we work together. And, of course, you've had to block out any thought of seeing me that way. Oh, okay. But... The only success I've had in show business is people seeing me as a highly sexualized being. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Wait, so I have a question. Yeah. So you guys had a passionate affair, and then she just named an award for you because For obvious of that? reasons. And I think uh, no one's quite met the Conan O'Brien standard since then. Except Seamus. <laughs> Seamus, yeah. And apparently she has, a, she has, an, yeah, eye. She has an eye for the Irish kids. Uh, no, this is a, uh, first of all, for legal reasons, let me point out that no, I did not have uh, any uh, relations. What? With this teacher. <laughs> so that was very hurtful. Sorry. <gasps> Sona, you only say that because you happen to know that I lost my virginity during Obama's second term. <laughs> uh, I was waiting to see how the healthcare thing went, and then I celebrated. Is he claiming, how long after me did he go to school? I couldn't quite tell that part. Did he say? I don't think Is this said. when I'm on television and I've become like a known person? It must be. I'm well, sure no. that the teacher is bragging to her students, like, hey, I had Conan O'Brien, the person you all know from TV. Yeah, I had Conan oh. O'Brien. See what Come I'm saying? On. No, I see what you're saying. No, I, I'm just saying. Yeah, I know you 18 are. is, you know. <sighs> you know how they make those eye washes in laboratories? I want one for my ears. <laughs> no. <laughs> Listen, Gourley. Um, you're mispronouncing it. Is it, is it Gourley? Anyway. Gourley. Okay. Oh, wait, you have a beard. I looked again at your face. <laughs> Jesus. Uh do you think Kimmel does a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> it's the most, there, a lot of food gets dished out at that podcast. Okay, so Seamus, I don't know why she gave this to you. I'm going to assume that she saw greatness in you. And, uh, and I see greatness in you, even though I can't see you. So Seamus, please don't get down on yourself. Maybe you're just being self-deprecating. Maybe that's the key. Seamus ah. is clearly very self-deprecating. So she probably gives the Conan O'Brien Award to the student who leans too heavily on that type of humor. Yeah. As do I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend with Sonam Obsessian and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco and Chris Bannon and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. Special thanks to Jack White for the theme song. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. 
Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and the show is engineered by Will Beckton. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf.